This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. Though time often feels slow here on earth, you'll spend a lot more of your life in eternity than you will here. One thing's for sure, you will leave this earth. Everyone will. And while there's no amount of works that can bring you into heaven, there is a person you must believe is the king of it all to enter in. His death and resurrection provided a way for you to enjoy your life here and also live with him in paradise. So let's dive into a series on heaven. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, let's take a listen to the message. We are going to start a new series. We're going to start something new again. Um, I want to kind of piggyback off of what we did last week on the first part, on the first end, the front end of the message. But I want to um, tell you kind of a brief story. I remember back in the 80s, I was, uh, for the first time in my life, I, was it the first time? Yeah. The first time in my life I ever driven a long distance, and uh, <clears throat> and we were going to New Jersey, and so me never been anywhere, and this is before GPS, so don't tell me I should have known where I was going because I didn't. We had to learn how to read maps. Most of y'all don't know what a map is, do you? Okay. Do y'all know what a uh, atlas is? Really? Awesome. Okay. I wasn't talking to the old folk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, we had to travel by maps and atlas, and, and then when you got close to where you were going, you had to stop at a gas station and kind of get directions to the house because the map didn't take you that far. So anyway... I drove, I was driving to New Jersey, and I, I never liked to travel. Never. Never. When I was a kid, my mom used to go to Ohio, Miami. They would go different places, and they would go, and they would, they would I, I begged, Mama, can I stay at home? Can I please stay at home? And as a little bit of kid, I mean, eight, nine years old, she let me stay at home. My brother would come by and check on me. And while I was, while she, you know, I'm in the house, I'm sleeping, I'm sleeping like, like in a corner like this so I can watch the whole house, you know, because I'm scared. And you know, when the house starts to settle, you start to hear noises and, you know, I'm thinking somebody's back there. But I'd rather be at home. I would a whole lot rather be at home because I didn't like travel. I felt sick a lot of times when we rode, you know, Miami is only 10 hours, but it felt like 10 days. I just, just felt sick when I would travel so much and so I was um, driving to New Jersey I'm driving to New Jersey my first trip going a long way away from home and so I'm, 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 I'm on, my, on my way to New Jersey finally we get to New Jersey after so many long hours I'm wore out I'm tired and we get to the Lincoln Tunnel or whatever it was we got to the Lincoln Tunnel. Lincoln Tunnel takes you into New York. So I knew I was in the wrong place, getting ready to go to the wrong, in the wrong direction. So I stopped. When I stopped, got ready to get out of the car. And when I got ready to put my foot on the ground, I had to draw back because guess what? Dog poop was on the street. I said, I know I'm in the wrong place. When you can be downtown and dog poop is on the sidewalk. Anyway, we stayed up there three days a week, however long we stayed. I made that long journey back, that long journey back. And on my way back, man, I was, I was just so good. I was just dreading and dreading and dreading the long ride. And when I got to the sign that says, Welcome to Alabama the Beautiful, I made a commitment. I said, I will never do that again. Never do it again. And the whole time I was there, guess where I wanted to be? Where? Home. I was homesick. Why was I homesick? Because I was away from home, right? I was away from home. I'm going to make a point here in a minute. But uh, <laughs> I, was, I was away from home. 
I was away from home and I wanted to be at home. You ever been on a trip and you enjoyed where you were? And then all of a sudden when you get home, you're like, oh, you like little Dorothy on the Wizard of Oz. There's no place like home. You clicking your heels together. No place like home. There's no place like home. My point is this. I want to go through these scriptures right quick. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. It says that these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. And look what they confessed. It says they confessed that they were what? Strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, before y'all got to know me, if I had been walking around in y'all neighborhood, especially in front of y'all house, what would y'all have said? And, and said what? There's a stranger, standing, a strange black man standing around in front of my house. A strange man, wouldn't you? Why? Because I didn't belong, right? And then these people said they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. And the word pilgrims actually mean they came from a far land while they were here on the earth. And all these people were actually born here on the earth, but they said they were strangers and pilgrims. So my question to you is, have you gotten to the place where you have made this home. Is this home for you? Are you longing to go home? Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, or I beg you as what? Strangers and pilgrims. He's using the exact same words in the exact same order, and he's talking about us being strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You remember last week when I was talking to y'all and I told y'all that we hold too tightly to the things that's going to pass away and we hold too lightly to the things that's going to remain and how we actually try to hold on to stuff and things and positions and titles and that one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to realize and I'm standing at the gates and I tell him I met Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. But then I tell him I'm a pastor. And he said, we got the great shepherd here. We don't need no pastors in heaven. I tell him I'm a rich man. And he tell me that the streets are paved with gold. We don't need no money up here. I tell him that I'm a doctor. And he said, the great physician lives up here. We don't need any. And there's no sick people in heaven. I tell him that I'm a mortician. And he said, there ain't no dead folks up here. We don't need morticians. And see, we hold on to these titles and we hold on to this stuff. And then the stuff that matters, we give it so little time and so little attention. The things that matter. See, Jesus said in, in, in Luke, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And he said, I'll give you the stuff. So basically what he's telling us is, he said, hold on to that's going to remain and hold lightly to the things that's going to pass away. He said, don't get all caught up and bent out of shape about this stuff. And then if y'all remember, I gave y'all another scripture and another point, And it was Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus, they came to Jesus and it was the end. And Jesus said, they came to him and said, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we not cast out devils. And in thy name have we done many wonderful works. And Jesus looks at him and say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. You remember what I asked y'all? Don't you want to know before you get to the end whether you got it right or not? You don't want to live your life and go to church every Sunday and give your money and do tithe and offering and serve and work in the church and then get to the end. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Heaven, which should be home. Because the Bible says what? We were born 
not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed by the word of God that lives and abides forever. He said, we are citizens of where? Heaven. So where should we be trying to get to? Home. He said in Colossians, he said, he said now, you ought to set your affections on things where? Not on things on the earth. He said, we ought to be longing like I was when I was in New Jersey to get where? Home. And, and why is it that we don't long to get home? Because there's a passageway to the house that most of us don't want to go through. <laughs> what you call it? What's the name of that path? Don't nobody want to walk? Death. See, in order to get, to get home, you got to go through that path. But I'm going to give you a little peace, and, and we're going to make it through that path, okay? So, people talk about living their best life now, but if you are a Christian, guess what? There's no way that you can live your best life now. There's no way that you can live your best life now. I, I, as a matter of fact, I think a, a preacher wrote a book, Your Best Life Now. Ain't possible. You can do the best you can while you're here, but your best life, all that we enjoy in life and all that we have through faith in Jesus Christ is just a drop in the bucket for what God has for us when we leave this place. It's just a drop in the bucket. So in this sermon about heaven, you're going to be helped in your Christian life and you're going to grasp what God has prepared for you that he loves. He got something in store for us, okay? So, I want to start in the middle of a story, or pretty much at the end of the story, and you'll get the rest of the story if we go on. But this is a story when Jesus was on the cross and the thief was on the cross with him, and these are the words that Jesus spoke to the thief. He said, today you will be with me where? In paradise. And guess what? It is so clear. It is crystal clear. The words of Jesus, he said, you will be with me. And he said that to the thief when the thief asked him to remember him. Okay. Now, he didn't say, well, he didn't do like we would do. Well, let's wait and see. Let me see how you do. Let me check and see if a space come open on the list so we might could get you in. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said Today shall you be with me in paradise. Okay? So the promise was given to the thief. Is it for you too? Is it? How can I know it is for me? It's hard to imagine. It is hard to imagine a more important question than this one. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about, dream about whatever you want to dream about, think about whatever you want to think about, but there's no, mother, no other important question more important than are you going to heaven? And guess what? Sooner or later, your last day on earth will come. All of our last day on earth will come. And let me say this. Let me say this before I go any further. I know folk don't like to talk about this. You know, I, I remember being at work and I, I, tell, I, I start talking about death and they said, don't, 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 don't talk about that. Why not talk about the thing that's more important than the stuff that we want to talk about? This is critical. And think about the thief. You may not be like him. When he woke up that morning, he knew before the sun went down, he was going to be dead. So let me ask you a question. If you knew when you woke up in the morning that by the end of the day you were going to be dead, what would you do all day? What would you do all day? What would, what would, you, what would you think? What would you spend that day doing? You know, a lot of folks, let me, let me tell you, if you think about it, the folks that are not real sure where they're going, they're going to spend, spend the day about halfway scared. They're going to spend the day wondering how they're going to die. You know, I think I, spend, I, think I would spend that day all day. Don't, I, I think I, if I knew that was the last day, I'd take the cell phone, the TV, 
the wife, everybody, and y'all just get on out of here and leave me alone. Because I got just a few hours left, and I'm spending these with the one I'm going to see. I'm spending with, amen to that, amen to that. And you know what? For each day, for each of us, that day is going to come. And one day when we wake up, whether we know it's the last day or not, it's going to be the last day. And the question is, what's going to happen then? What's going to happen after that? Jesus speaks to us about heaven. He came in the world so people could literally go to heaven. That's why he came, because we are isolated and separated from that. And, no ma and, and nothing matters more than you going to heaven. Is there something else more important to y'all? Is it? ST? You sure? Okay. All right. Just check. This matters more than your work, your business, and even your money. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he said, he said, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, a man can do what? Gain the whole world and what? Lose his own soul. He can have everything and then die and go to hell. So, the Lord told a story about a man that was wrapped up in all his work. Everybody know that story. We know how easy it is to do that. He was getting a business plan together, working on a plan for expansion. And this is what he said. He said, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. Y'all remember that story? He, he had, God had blessed him plentifully. His, his field has, had produced abundantly. He had more than he could do anything with. And he said, I will tear down my barns. And I'll build greater ones or bigger ones. This man was a planner. He was planning for the future. But God said, what? Thou fool. Why? Because he was preparing for the future and was not thinking about the biggest part of it, the most important part of it. So every time you look at your savings account, every time you look at your 401k, your IRA, or whatever it is that you got, I want you to think about that. I am well prepared for the future. Well, what lies beyond this? What lies beyond this? That's what really matters. You know what? I know we, it'll be a fool not to prepare for the future. But the truth of the matter is, you are really a fool when you don't prepare to leave here. You are really a fool if you think you're going to be here from now on. You got to get ready for that more than you would the other, okay? So, you plan for a future that may last 10, 20, 30 years past retirement. Maybe sometimes we live a little longer than that. But what happens then? What's next? What's next? Plan and prepare for the few years that you have in this world is good. It's wise. It makes sense to do it. But to neglect what lies beyond in eternity is the greatest form of folly that you could ever involve yourself in. Every person, I don't care how young you are, I don't care how small you are, every person better come to the realization that one day this is going to end and something's going to happen after that and you got to ask yourself the question, what is that? So, one day, you leave this world and all that you have because what? You brought nothing into this world and you're not going to take anything out. I know some of y'all think that those folks that have that, little, that half a suit on, that they're taking that with them, but they're not taking it with them. It's a half a suit. Most of them don't even have no, no bag, no back in them. Some of them don't have no legs on them. They just got enough for you to see and make them look good while they lay there in the casket. You brought nothing into this world. And it is certain that you're not going to take anything out of it. So the ultimate question of life and death about you and God and your eternal future, that is the question that's before us today. And it is the most important and urgent question that anybody can ask. So how can I be sure of heaven? And the story of the thief give us the clearest answers in the whole Bible to that question. The story of the thief tells us. In Luke 23, 32 through 33, 
two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left side. Okay. And we are told that one of these thieves said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, look at the word he used before he said, he could have said, I just say unto you. But he said, truly, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. And see, when you think about truly, he's showing emotion and seriousness. He's saying, he, he's, he's saying it with emotion and seriousness. He said, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Okay. Now, the story of the thief blows away the myth that people get into heaven by living good enough. And let me say this to y'all. Let me say this to y'all. Don't ever look at anybody else based on them on their lifestyle and try to tell somebody where they where they going. Don't ever look at anybody from this day forward. I don't care whether he's a crackhead under the bridge or murderer in the prison. I don't care where he is. I don't care what he's done. Don't ever look at him and say he's going to hell. Because we don't know. This proves the story. Because the truth of the matter, if you were to ask all those people that were in that audience that day, where did that man up there go? And they would say, both of those thieves went to hell. They went to hell because they were thieves. They probably would have even declared that Jesus went to hell. But let me show you something. There can be a conversation between a murderer and Jesus that may not change his position, but it changed his destination. It may not change his position. He may still be locked up. His position is the same. But his destination has changed. His status has changed. I'm still a prisoner, but I'm also a son of God. And we can't sit somewhere and judge and say who did and who didn't based on how they live. Okay? So he was not in a position to start living a, a good life. His hand was nailed to a beam, so he couldn't go out and serve nobody. His feet was fastened to a cross, so he couldn't run out and do good works. He couldn't turn over, a new, it's too, too late for him to turn over a new leaf. He's out of time. And Jesus said to that man, that man, today you'll be with me in paradise. And you know what? If this man can get to heaven, it's got to be open to all of us. So the question is, what did he do? What did he do? And let me say this to y'all. I know, I know sometimes people have a tendency that when, when somebody is teaching something or preaching something that you feel like you already know that you will tune out. But let me tell you something. These things that this man did, you can apply to any word in the Bible and get results. Amen to that, sister. Amen to you. Thank you. I got one witness right here on the pew right here. Yeah. So what did the man do? What can I do that will lead Jesus to say these wonderful words to me? To whom does Jesus say, you will be with me in paradise? What does a man have to do? What's the first thing you got to do? First thing you got to do is turn. The first thing he did was turn. We know that this thief was on the cross six hours and during that time, a remarkable change. Because I showed y'all now, both of them were saying, if you be the son of God, save yourself and us too. Both of them were. But somewhere in those six hours, something changed inside of this man. Something happened. So Mark, Matthew and Mark tells us that the, both of the criminals was, 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 was talking trash to him. Right. Matthew 27, 44 said the robbers were crucified 
the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. But something happened. As one continued, a change came over the other. And the Bible calls this turning what? Repentance. Repentance. Now I told y'all that repentance is, it means to change your mind. Okay? But let me give you another definition for repentance. One writer says, repentance is turning with as much as I know of myself. In other words, as much as I know about me, I'm turning away from that. As much as I know from as much as I know of my sin. In other words, I may not know a lot of sin that's on the inside of me, and I may just know the one that I'm lost. So I'm going to turn from that one sin. And then I'm going to turn as much as I know of God. In other words, I might not know a whole lot. I might have just heard that he's a savior. So I'm turning from as much as I know of myself, from as much as I know of my sin to as much as I know about God. And what I'm telling you is repentance gets deeper because as you grow, you learn more about what? Yourself. You see more of your sin and you learn more about God and therefore your, penance, your repentance keep going. It gets deeper. It gets deeper. You don't repent one time. And, 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 and here again, don't mistake Confession with repentance. Two different things. Confession takes care of the act. Repentance takes care of the cause. Okay? When you confess, you say, God, I forgive me for the idea of something. You didn't repent. You confess. Okay? So, then you begin to fear God. All right? Luke 23, 39 through 40, said, One of the criminals who hang railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since we are under the same sentence of condemnation? He said, Do you not fear God? Now, he's the one that's been shouting. He had been shouting hateful abuse at Jesus. But then he sees eternity is right on the horizon and he's getting ready to meet God face to face. He's getting ready to meet God face to face. We can also say, you know, that God, Hebrews 4 says what? The word of God is quick and powerful, sharp than any two-edged sword. He's the discerner of the thought, the attitude, the motive, and the intent of the heart. Psalms say what? Even before a thought formed in your mind, God knows it. Before a word is formed on your tongue, God knows what you're going to speak. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But he said, I, the Lord, search the heart and and try the reins of the mind. And so basically there's nothing hidden from God. He knows everything. And we can assume that this man was brought up Jewish. I was in here yesterday, me and a guy, and we, we, we were standing right here and we were talking. And we talked about how people long time ago, this is what he told me. He said, before I got saved, before I ever gave my life to Christ, he said, I would be riding down the road with my music up loud. And he said, because of what I was taught and told when I got by the church, he said, I turned it down. Not when they in church, but just going by the church. See, folk back then, they, they were raised with a, yeah, amen, sister. Amen, I got you. They were raised with a respect for God. I remember, I, I remember, I can see, I remember folk walking across the, the churchyard. You know, they, they'll walk across here. They, matter of fact, let me tell you something. I pick up more little, little shot bottles and beer bottles and wine bottles out of this churchyard than I do in front of my house. Yeah, Ray, pick them up. Yeah, right here at the church. They go to the store across the street, buy their beer and liquor. Amen, sister. You've seen them, yeah. And they walk right across the they walk right across the churchyard with it. I remember, I remember that there were people when they found out I was a Christian and they found out I was a preacher, and I walk up and they had beer. They had just that much respect. 
I can remember my wife and I, we were riding one day, and we saw this lady. I won't, I won't say who she is because somebody going to know her. But anyway, she was, she was out there, man. She was standing outside her side road, and she was smoking a cigarette. That cigarette looked like it was this long. She's smoking that cigarette. She's smoking that cigarette. And she saw, my, she saw me and my wife, and she did this. And I said, she don't hurry up and get that cigarette from behind her. She gonna, her dress going to catch on fire. Yeah. And I try to tell folk, man, don't, I don't have a heaven or a hell. You don't have to hide it from me. You took it out of my face and put it in God's face. I mean, come on. Come on. I can't do nothing about it. So anyway, we got to believe that this man was raised. I'm going to tell you something. That's a good thing. That's why God said, train your children in the way in which they should go. He said, when they're old, they won't depart from it. Because the truth of the matter, see, what happens is if you teach them, yeah, amen. You, if you teach them when they grow up, they are going to, the Holy Spirit got something to bring back to their remembrance. Amen, yeah, yeah. And, and, and people, people literally think, I remember, I remember going to Sunday school. I was made to go to Sunday school. I didn't go because I wanted to go. And I thought that while I was sitting in Sunday school that I was hearing none of it. I'm just sitting there waiting on them to say amen so we can get out. And I can take that other quarter that I was supposed to put in Sunday school and go to the store. Don't act like y'all ain't never done it. Anyway, so, <laughs> but I found out later, I found out later that I was actually absorbing some of the stuff that was said. When I got ready to get saved, God started bringing to my remember stuff that I was taught in Sunday school. It is a, I'm telling you, your children may, you may think they're not paying attention, they may think they're not listening, but make them go. Make them sit and listen. The Holy Spirit will do the work. He'll do the work. So, and if he had given any weight to it, he would never have been a thief. But he pushed that knowledge away and wound up being where he is. And that's easy for him to do and us to do too. And he got further away from God. His conscience didn't bother him. But now he's on the brink of eternity. And the fear of the Lord comes back to him. It comes back to him. And he looks over and he sees Jesus. And he said, do you not fear God? Man, I'm going to tell you something. This, had, this, this is an awesome story. It, gives, it should give people hope. It should give people hope. Anyway, second thing he did. He recognized Christ as king. He recognized him as king. Look what he said. The soldiers... Luke 23, 36, 38. It said, the soldiers also mocked him, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, do what? Save yourself. Now, look at this now. If you are the king of the Jews, and then there also was an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. All of that, now, didn't nobody believe it. They were just doing that to mock him. Those were insults. Those were not acknowledgments. But somehow or another, this, this thief realized and recognized something. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it is the person who recognized that Jesus is king, where he says, today you will be with me in paradise. So how can I be sure of heaven? If I were to ask you the question, if you died today, are you absolutely positively sure without a shadow of a doubt that you would go to heaven? What would you say? Most folk would say, yeah. And then when you ask them the question, you know, if, if you stand at the gates of heaven and God says, why would I let you in? What would you tell them? Then folks will start telling you all kind of stuff. They'll start kind of telling you all kind of things. So the first thing he did was turn. And then the fear of God and submit himself to Christ as a king. So let his way be your way. Let his truth be your truth, and let his life be your life. The next thing he did was ask. He asked, okay? Luke 23, 42. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He asked. Now, Jesus, you are a king. Look at this now. He in the same position that the thief is. He said, now, you are a king, but you're going into death. So that clearly means 
that his kingdom was not of this world. And the reason why they mocked him because they were looking for a king in this world. Jesus came to set up a kingdom in the hearts of men. So he said, now, he said, now, I see him. I know he's a king, but he's going into death. So that tells me his kingdom is not from here. Okay. Asking means you don't pretend to be righteous. You do not pretend to be righteous. Okay. Luke 23, 41. Look what the thief said. We are receiving the due reward of our deeds. In other words, he said, he said, he, he, this is what he said. He said, this man has done nothing wrong, but we are receiving the due reward for our sin. That's repentance, folks. That's accepting full responsibility, excluding all external circumstances. In other words, the thief could have been up there and said, well, you know my daddy wasn't around. And my mama was having a hard time, and that's why I stole. But he didn't make no excuses. He didn't try to justify where he was. He acknowledged where he was. And he accepted the full responsibility of what he was getting. The thief didn't pretend that he is really a good person. Like what most folks say. He didn't say, well, I've done some bad stuff in my life, and, and I hear this all the time. Nobody's perfect. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's perfect. I've done some good as well as bad, so please remember what I've done when you come into your kingdom. Remember all the good. You know what? And the truth of the matter is, he had laid out that story. Jesus already fixed it because he said, your most righteous deed is what? Is as a filthy rag. It actually is nothing. You can't bring nothing to God. You can't do it. So this man asked Christ honestly and with humility. He faces the fact that he's a sinner. He realizes that he sinned against his God and he sinned against his fellow man. It sounds like the, the prodigal son. The prodigal son said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your high servants. I sinned against heaven and in your sight. Always remember this and know this. Even when you sin against people, you ultimately sin against God because you sin against the one that made the rule. I didn't make the rule. Now, he may have made the rule on how you are to deal with me and treat me, and you broke the rule toward me, but you ultimately sin against God. He said, I sin in heaven and in your sight and no more worthy to be called your son. And we are like this man. Asking means you don't try to make a deal. Try to make a deal with God. How many folks, how many folks have heard folks that said they, they made a deal with God? I've heard folks say that. They made a deal with him. Me and God made a deal. Really. He is empty handed. What can he offer? And let me ask you this. What do you have to offer God? You can't even offer him that. He owned that. If I say I'm going to give you my life, he, he can take it when he get ready. It's all, I can't say I'm giving you my life as, as if I can determine how long I'm going to live, when I'm going to die. It's mine to do what I please with. God breathe and men live. God take back his breath and men die. So even my life is not an offering to him. That's our first instinct. I give you my life. If I pray, if I go to church, if I'm generous, if I pay a price for doing what is right. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. We can sit and act like we don't bleed none of that. We don't do none of that. We don't think none of that. But the truth of the matter is, and I can tell you you're wrong, because the first thing that happens when God don't do what you said, you get mad with God. You get mad with God. Why? Why didn't God do this? He didn't do it for me. I've already prayed. And God didn't do nothing, so it's time for me to handle it. Basically, what we're saying 
And we get upset with God because we think that we have made some kind of deal. We got some kind of way to bargain with God. We got some kind of way that we can twist his arm and make him do what we want him to do. But the truth of the matter is, I don't have nothing to to give him. I don't have anything to do to offer him. So, and you go through life thinking God owes you. All you can do is ask. And come with empty hands. Empty hands. Empty hands. You can't bring him money because he said a silver and gold is mine, Calip on a thousand hills. You can't bring him uh, uh, any kind of gift. You can't give him yourself because the truth of the matter, he already owned you. He said, earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. So you can't offer him you because you don't own you. You got to come empty handed. And to the person who comes that way and asks Jesus, he says what? You will be with me in paradise. Now, the next thing you got to do is trust. You got to trust. Now, Luke 23, 23, 43, he says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, what did he have? What did, what, what did the thief have? All he had is what we have, and that is a word from God and his promise. That's all he had. That's all he had. Once Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, didn't nothing come over him or didn't nothing happen with him to the place and the point where he could be assured that when he died, he was going to be in paradise. He had to trust that what Jesus said, he was able also to perform. And that's what we have to do. And that's why I said this message is more than just salvation in heaven. It's about every aspect of life. You got to trust God. Now, Jesus said this in John 6, 37. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast him out. You got to trust and believe that. Okay. So Luke 23, 44 says it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Listen at this, folks. The thief had to trust the promise of Jesus when he was surrounded by what? By great darkness. In other words, I gave my life to Jesus and all of a sudden, everything got dark. Everything went black. Everything went bad. I was consumed by an enemy. And that happened to me when I gave my life to Christ. I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm thinking to fall into a bed of roses and a life of ease. I did. I literally thought that. I thought, man, I'm getting, whenever I pray, God is going to answer my prayers. He, I mean, I, I mean, he's just like a slot machine. I'm going to go up and I'm going to pull the handle and it's going to come up all cherries. I am not going to ever have a need. Man, I'm never going to get sick. Everything's going to be perfect. going to be beautiful. And I woke up the next morning, man, it looked like all hell broke loose. And you know why? Because the devil is in opposition to you now. It's like going up to Niagara Falls. The Niagara Falls is easy as long as you start at the top and go down. But try, start at the bottom and try to go up and see what happens. Yeah. You got you to fight on your hand. So this thief had to trust Jesus even in the darkness. If you turn and ask him to save you, trust him to do it. But understand this. There are going to be times that you're going to have to hang on to the promise in great darkness. You're going to have to hold on when, the, when, it's, when life is at its worst and in the darkest place. You are still going to have to hold on to the word and trust Jesus at that moment. People who trust Jesus often live with great unanswered questions. And we can see that in the book of Hebrews. We see it all over the book of Hebrews. These people died not receiving the promise and not seeing what God promised them they would see. Don't be surprised when it happens to you. And know this, that the promise of Jesus is as sure in the light as it is in the night. It is as sure both ways. Next thing, trusting in the pain. Realize this. Think about the agony that the thief experienced after he trusted Jesus. On that cross, those pains that he was experiencing got worse those wounds in his hands start to open up wider. The wounds in his feet start to open up wider. 
The fever was raging in his body. So now he's trusted Jesus. It's gotten dark. And now I'm experiencing more pain than I did before I ever met him. You got to trust him in the pain. He experienced more pain before he trusted Jesus. And remember this, please. Trusting Jesus is never a passport to a pain-free life. Like I thought. Like I thought. Listen, folks, there were sick folks in the Bible. There were sick folks in the Bible. There were folks that got sick and died in the Bible. I can show them to you. So don't think that every person, see, the truth of the matter is this. If we got what we prayed for every time we prayed, every one of our family members would still be here. I know all mine would because I prayed for all of them. I didn't want to see any of them go. And if we had what we wanted, if prayer worked like we wanted it to work, nobody would ever get sick. Nobody would ever die. Nobody would ever go through anything. Our children would have everything they desired and wanted, and we would have everything we desired and wanted. And guess what happened to us? That would be the last time you prayed. Amen. Thank you. Man, that baby on top of it right there. She on top of it. She got it. Trusting in death. Trusting in death. This is good, folks. Let me back that up. I don't want y'all to see that yet. We got to learn to trust God in death. And the, one of the things that we have to do when we're trusting God in death is to, I'm, I'm going to say it before you see it, you got to forget about your Christian life. When you're laying on your deathbed, Forget about your Christian life. And this is why. If I lay there thinking about the Christian life and what I've done for Jesus, it won't be long and I'll start thinking about what I did not do. It won't be long and I'll start thinking about what I should have done. It won't be long and I'll start thinking about what I could have done. And it won't be long and the devil going to come in and put you in doubt and fear. So if you lay there and think about your Christian life while you're dying and you're going you're gonna to be thinking, man, well, I, I did this and I did that, I did that. And then you're going to lay there and you're going to start thinking, well, I know he told me to do that. And I should have done that. I could have done that. And then the devil going to come in and tell you you're going to hell. So when you're laying on your deathbed, don't think about your Christian life. This is what you need to think about. Here's how to die. Forget about what you've done for Jesus and fix your eyes on what Jesus has done for you. That's all that matters. That's how to die. And the truth of the matter is, that's how we should live. Don't think God going to do something for you because of what you have done. Because if he do something for you for what you've done, then he got to send you to hell. Don't base your prayers on what you've done. Base it on what Jesus has done. Because you can always look at what you've done and there's going to be a million things that you should have done, that you could have done, that you were supposed to do. And then when you start thinking about that, you can think about why God shouldn't answer your prayer. Because I didn't do everything he told me to do. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So, here's the answer. Amen. Amen. Thank you, baby. Thank you. Man, bring her back every Sunday, please. Yeah. Amen, baby. Thank you so much. <laughs> Here's what we have to do. We got to turn. We got to ask. We got to trust. <laughs> Amen, baby. Thank you. Thank you so much. That is, that, is, that is what the thief did. And the person who turns, asks, and trusts, Jesus will say, you will be with me what? In paradise. In paradise. Let us pray. Amen. Lord, we just bless you. We praise you. We worship you. We honor you. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for giving us such a, I don't want to say a low example, but giving us an example of somebody that we would think went to hell. 
Thank you for letting us see a man that never had an opportunity to do good works, never had an opportunity to turn his life around, to do service. But at the end of the day, when he realized who you were, he chose to turn and recognize that you were the king and that you were going into a kingdom, not on this earth, but as at the other side. And he had sense enough to ask, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he didn't ask in trying to make a deal. He didn't try to bring anything in his hand, but he trusted in you and what you've done. And then he trusted you. Amen. He trusted you. And as he trusted you, he trusted you in the darkness. He trusted you in the pain. And eventually he trusted you in death. He didn't rely on his Christian life, his Christian experience, the works that he had done, the things that he had given. He trusted in what you were going to do for him. And Lord, that is the basis and the foundation of our salvation. I pray, Lord, that you would grace us and help us to trust you. Not in what we do. Not in any works. And I pray that we will not judge other people. Condemn people to hell that will probably be in heaven before we will. Help us to walk with you in faith, trusting and believing that when we leave this world, we'll hear the words of Jesus. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And Lord, we so bless you, we praise you, we worship you, we honor you. We thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure you subscribe and share with someone you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries.